so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Who is uh, playing with robots? Or, no, I'm sharpening a pencil. Oh. <laughs> Are you 100 years old? <laughs> he is. Who, yes, I mean, who else? Yes. Who else Haven't who you else seen him on FaceTime? He is 100 years old. Look, look at my man Mark there. Look, look at, that. at that. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me in the studio, as always, are my co host, Lindy Nicolay. Good morning, everybody. It is a good morning. And also yeah. with us is... Wait. Uh, 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 uh. Uh. Wait, I need to tell you this important piece of information. There's a little pep in my voice step because my son slept six and a half hours straight last night. Whoa, uh, that's so, a win. That's a yeah, win right there. A, a ba- for a baby, that is a win. And here with us in his Tennessee orange is Mr. Brent Leatherwood. Yes, and hello from the other side of the vaccination gulf. Is that you're not there that, yet? You got to be. You have to be two weeks post to be. Well, whatever. Completely on the, the other side. The jab. The jab is in the arm. I'm the feeling jab. good. I'm ready to hop on a plane and head to wherever we need to head. <laughs> <laughs> you have when once you use the word jab, you have to switch to a British accent, Brent. Yeah, but remember, when I do it, it, it kind of sounds like this weird Scottish-Australian one right. and, and not actually somebody from London, you know. So. <laughs> but anyways, no, I'm thankful that uh, that uh, we've we've made it. As my, you know, for me, I had a, I mean, a slight side effect. I, I was kind of achy. Ironically enough, I was achy in the opposite arm that I got the the shot in, which was weird. My wife, on the other hand, she actually felt better after she got the shot. She was like on the morning that we were heading over there. She was like, "Ah, eh, I'm I'm kind of not feeling a hundred percent today." She got the shot. She's like, "I'm actually feeling better. N- no no effects whatsoever. Just sailed right through the thing." It's just it, it is continually amazing me to hear the different ways that people kind of react to the this vaccine. It's just interesting. So, anyways, but yes, good morning, good day, uh, whenever uh, our our uh, loving audience members decide to to hear this podcast. Man, well, you heard it there, folks. That's a incredible welcome. And uh, we are glad that Brent is vaccinated. We are glad that Lindsay's child is sleeping. And we're glad to be doing another podcast with you. Uh, today in the show, we're going to talk about stuff going on in the culture, stuff going on at the ERLC. And for those of you who are longtime listeners, we're experimenting with a couple different formatting things. Uh, so there's not going to be a special guest today. Instead, it's, you're just going to hang out with us through the episode. And so Lindsay, so that we can get started, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. I am so honored that I'm the first one that everyone gets to hang out with. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. I hope they'd want to come back to my party. Uh, so we're getting started. Folks, she's not kidding. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, we're getting started with uh, an article by a gentleman named Seth Woodley, who is, wait for it, one of Josh's infamous best friends. If you've listened to this podcast for the last few weeks, you will hear how I constantly razz Josh about having everyone as a best friend. But Seth is legitimately one of his best friends. Seth is also a talented writer. He was uh, an English teacher at a Christian high school, and now he's the principal there. And I tell you all that so that you realize that this article is written by somebody who knows what they're talking about. And it's titled, How Literature Teaches Us About Leadership cultivating virtue through reading. And I loved this article because I I love getting book recommendations, except for the book recommendations that Josh and Brent make because they make me fall asleep when they just read the titles. Um, But I especially love fiction recommendations, and that's what Seth is giving us here. And he is calling us to look past, like, self-help books and specifically leadership books or Christian living books, and turn to fiction and literature for some lessons in virtue and cultivating virtue, lessons in leadership, lessons in character. And that might not be a place that you would think to look, but it is a place you should look. And so he gives us some suggestions and tells us why we should look to those books. And I'll just throw out some of those titles, The Remains of the Day, I'm not going to pronounce the author's name because I will not do it correctly. Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare, The Odyssey, and The Hobbit are just a smattering of the books that he recommends. So I suggest that you check out this article and then you either download or use Libby or go to your library and pick up an actual physical copy of one of these books and see what you can learn from them. Yeah, well, Lindsay, I really appreciate you highlighting this article from Seth, uh, not because he's my best friend, but because uh, it really is excellent. And honestly, he is one of the uh, most voracious uh, readers that I know. And so you you mentioned several of the titles there. There's a few more uh, in this, but uh, I liked what you said about this idea or what he said about not necessarily thinking when when you're trying to grow as a person, thinking, oh, well, what self-help book or leadership book or, or whatever can I go and pick up? But also being willing to just, you know, invest your time reading the classics. I mean, one of the primary ideas behind the studying the humanities or a liberal arts education is this idea of trying to grow and stretch yourself by exposing yourself to great thinkers, to great works. And so uh, Seth gives us a picture of this here. Just in this just brief article, he walks us through these titles and shows us some of the ways that we can benefit and learn from them. And so, look, I I think this is fantastic. It inspires me to want to add particularly fiction books uh, to my reading list over the summer. And so it's definitely worth checking out. I have been reading fiction lately, and I just find it so enjoyable. And I am especially excited because I bought The Count of Monte Cristo, and Seth says that is his favorite book. So that's motivating me to dive into what seems to be a bit of an intimidating book. And if I can't make it through, then I'll just watch the movie and hope that I learn lessons from it. <laughs> so next up, we have another article that I really, really loved. And that was an interview by Josh Wester, our very own, and Jordan Wooten, who is one of our interns and channel editors. And they talked to Brett McCracken, who has a new book on wisdom. And the title of the interview is Why We Desperately Need Wisdom in This Age of Information. Brett just had a ton of great answers to great questions that Josh and Jordan asked him about wisdom. And uh, 
Brett's book is titled The Wisdom Pyramid, and he kind of likens our intake of wisdom to that of the food pyramid and things that we we need to to toss out and have less of, things that we need to add in and have more of. And his book is especially important because we do live in a day and age of so much information, but that information isn't necessarily making us smarter and or wiser. Uh, it's not teaching us to think better. Uh, in fact, it is dulling a lot of our capabilities to be able to reason through things well. And as Christians, that's not okay because we're called to walk in wisdom. We're called to walk in a way that is wise in this age so that we can um, be lights in the midst of darkness. So I would uh, recommend that you definitely, definitely check out this article. We also have an excerpt from the book that's running on our website this week that I would uh, highly recommend you check out. And you probably want to go to Amazon and purchase this book as soon as you can. Yeah, Josh, I love uh, the fact that uh, you had the wisdom here to bring together this piece because, A, number one for uh, folks listening, uh, Brett McCracken is an excellent follow on social media, uh, particularly on Twitter. I mean, just just great stuff. He highlights continually the, the best stuff from TGC, but just the random uh, thoughts that he shares – uh, that are wise on social media are excellent. Uh, so definitely follow him there. But then I love this concept of the fact that we are living in an unwise age. Uh, I mean, so much that seems to be in vogue right now in our culture is essentially just anti-intellectualism. Um, no one wants to value uh, folks that have actually studied uh, you know, specific topics for years and are legitimate experts. They they just nope. They want to dismiss them and just emote uh, whatever happens to to strike them in the moment. And uh, I'm just thankful that he is calling us to, as you said, Lindsay, uh, to be wise. And as Christians, we should pursue wisdom uh, because that that's that's what we're called to do. And of course, pursuing wisdom took intentionality in every age, but I feel like especially so in this age, it is going to take some effort. It's going to take time. It's going to take some reprogramming and, of course, the help and power of the Holy Spirit. So we're thankful for this article and interview with Brett. Uh, and then our final article is an important one because it highlights a vulnerable population that Christians should be aware of and, as the Lord calls you, should minister to. So we have a friendship with a wonderful ministry, the Men and Women of Prison Fellowship, that uh, Chuck Colson started. And we often highlight some of their work. And we've highlighted them this month already because April is Second Chance Month, where we talk about giving a second chance to incarcerated men and women when they are when they serve their time and they are released back into society. Uh, and our friend Erica Anderson wrote an article about this and also highlighted a ministry that is here in our home state of Tennessee called Men of Valor. So Erica's article is titled, Why a Second Chance for Incarcerated Men is Important. And she talks about the effects of COVID on these men in prison and the isolation that's happened and uh, some of the some of the ministry that they and structure that they didn't receive because of COVID restrictions. 
But she's also talked about the opportunities that have arisen, especially for this ministry, Men of Valor, how they've stepped up to the plate, and how, as one man involved in Men of Valor says, it's it's kind of just cracked open the ability to get some virtual programming into prisons to where men can be exposed to the gospel in ways that they have not been before. She also goes on to chronicle how Men of Valor has kept a strong focus on their reentry program. So they they follow up with and help these men after they're released. Um, they help them reenter into society and and do all the things that might come along with that that we take for granted. You know, getting personal possessions, getting a, being able to find rides so that they can maybe get a job, getting an ID so that they can can actually get a job. So. I love this article. I love this example. I love, as we've talked about in the past, uh, being exposed by our resources to people and communities that we should have a heart for. And if the Lord doesn't call us specifically to serve that community, to at least be thinking about and praying for. So if you're interested in prison ministry or you just want to know more, um, I point you to this article and encourage you uh, to pray about how the Lord would have you get involved. And, you know, for, for us as Christ followers, right? Like this is, this is right up our alley because I mean, just think through scripture, think through how much of scripture takes place in the context of prison. Uh, and, and just, you know, because of that, we should, we should constantly be thinking through ways to serve this community. And, you know, for our listeners who are uh, here in Tennessee, Men of Valor is, is probably uh, um, an organization that you've heard of because they do a lot around the state, particularly here in, in Nashville. As a matter of fact, uh, Tennessee's governor, Governor Bill Lee, uh, he has served on the board for many years of Men of Valor. And uh, justice reform and, and um, criminal justice reforms are uh, particularly prevalent in his uh, portfolio. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm really thankful that uh, we've devoted uh, a piece of content here towards the great work of Men of Valor, and of course our our partners at Prison Fellowship. Uh, they've they're culminating uh, another great uh, month, Second Chance Month, um, and it would encourage uh, any of our folks that are, are pastors or discipleship ministers or, or folks that are leading uh, small groups in their churches. Uh, there's a lot of great resources uh, from Prison Fellowship about ways to. Talk about this particular issue within the context of your local church. That's a great point, Brent, about Scripture and how many times Scripture speaks to people in prison and serving them, particularly in the New Testament. So thank you for that reminder. And going back to the idea of wisdom, you know, all the articles that we've highlighted today and that are on our site are there for the purpose of helping us as believers cultivate wisdom and then being able to apply that to various areas of life and various situations that we find ourselves in, circumstances we find ourselves in, relationships that the Lord has providentially put us in. So that's why we cover a variety of topics. And that's why I'm thankful to work here because reading these articles, editing these articles helps me. And it may feel like a lot, a lot of topics that are covered, but at least those things are there on our site for you to go back and reference um, when you're in the midst of a situation and you think, how can I as a Christian faithfully think through this? And how can I as a Christian faithfully walk through this? So I just wanted to give that little caveat there about 
why we exist here at the ERLC and why we do what we do and why we're serving you as our listener. But for now, Josh and Brent, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, Lindsay, thanks for that rundown. And you're exactly right. It is a privilege to work at the ERLC and to be able to help equip Christians to respond to and think well about how the gospel applies to all of life and all the situations that we find ourselves in. And so, yeah, I just really, really appreciated that. So speaking of uh, the gospel and all of life, Brent, tell us what's going on in the world of culture this week. Thanks for that, Josh. All right, leading the news this week, President Biden promotes a sweeping agenda in his first joint address to Congress. So this comes from our friends over at The Dispatch, and you can see uh, all of their uh, articles over at thedispatch.com. So President Biden seemed to enjoy returning to the place he called almost home, Congress, speaking for nearly 65 minutes about the first 100 days of his presidency and what he envisions coming next. Biden currently boasts a plus 12 net approval rating from voters, which is significantly better than former President Trump's negative 10 at this point in his presidency, but worse than former President Obama and President George W. Bush's, which both boasted a rating of uh, 28 points. It's actually pretty remarkable. Uh, From the speech, President Biden said the worst pandemic in a century, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America is ready for takeoff. He touted the 220 million vaccine doses administered nationwide since he took office, but did not mention the work Operation Warp Speed did last year to help make that possible. Folks will remember that Operation Warp Speed was an initiative designed and carried out under President Trump to help speed along the development of our COVID-19 vaccines. Underlying the entire speech was a precarious logical balancing act. On the one hand, his first few months in office were a smashing success, and the country has a bright future ahead of it. On the other Things are in dire enough straits to justify pumping an additional $4 trillion of federal spending into the economy on top of the more than $5 trillion spent on COVID-19 relief over the past year. Uh, President Biden promoted a $2 trillion American jobs plan, and he unveiled for the first time his $1.8 trillion American families plan. Republican Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina gave the Republican response to the joint address. And so folks may recall that in previous years, uh, other rising stars within whatever party was was not in power, uh, ha, you know, have been chosen to give the response. And by all accounts, Senator Scott did a very good job. And honestly, this is one of those uh, one of those assignments where if if you can just act normal, you've kind of won uh, because there have been some, major gaffes that have occurred or uh, things in the background that have actually distracted from the message uh, of the person who's giving the speech. What did y'all think? It was still pretty surreal to see this address being given to Congress and still seeing masks and social distancing and the whole deal. But, you know, it just was a sign that we're not we're not there yet. Uh, I also I uh, thought that, you know, it is so encouraging to see 220 million vaccine doses that have already been administered nationwide. We know that there's still a considerable amount of progress yet to be done on that front. Uh, and 
it is crazy to me. I mean, I think every person listening to this podcast will agree that the numbers, when we're talking about trillions of dollars, none of us can really wrap our arms or our minds around uh, what that exactly means. But to look at spending basically $4 trillion additional dollars uh, on these uh, on these initiatives is uh, is something that is overwhelming, but not even something that I think we really understand because it just feels like the money is kind of made up at this point. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I didn't even mention, so the, the speech, for those who may not have seen it, uh, there were only 200 people physically in attendance. And in a typical joint address, or when it's not in the first year, uh, State of the Union address, uh, typically, there's there's something like 1,200 to 1,500 people that are packed into the House chamber uh, to watch it. Um, so, yeah, there were only 200 people in there. But, uh, you know, it, Biden obviously enjoyed it because the president spent <laughs> several minutes after he was done with the speech, you know, just kind of talking and handshaking with members. And so, um, yeah. And then as far as those numbers, I mean, look at this point. <sighs> I mean, over the last several years, fiscal conservatism has certainly taken a backseat, and and these numbers are, I mean, they are jaw-dropping. Uh, Lindsay, what, what did you think? I just wanted to pick up on two things that Josh said. The first one being the encouragement of things starting to open back up, the hopeful tone, the number of vaccinations that have taken place that make it possible to be able to open our country back up. So that all just feels so hopeful. Um, the second is, it is. I have a lot of questions because I don't understand this aspect of our nation's debt, constantly spending trillions of dollars. We need money to make things happen. I, I, I don't know. How should a Christian think about this? What is this going to mean for future generations? I don't know who has the answer, but this it brings up more questions for me than answers. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, Lindsay. And obviously, we know that it is not sustainable to continue to spend uh, forever. The there's you know critical debates going on right now about whether or not these uh, particular investments uh, can be justified, and that debate is going to be had uh, in Congress over the weeks and months to come. And so, it is definitely something for us as Christians to pay attention to. And you know, it is we're talking about politics here, and. In this highly charged uh, political moment, it wasn't surprising to me, Brent, that uh, they didn't mention Operation Warp Speed. But, you know, since this is our podcast, we can. I mean, it, it really is a, a miracle that we are uh, looking at multiple effective vaccines uh, that, that are safe and able to be administered because it's not the, – the world is a lot bigger than even the United States and our 330 million people. We're talking about a world with billions and billions of people who are going to need access to these vaccines, not just for our lives to get back to normal, but for life around the world uh, to get back to normal. And so uh, this is, you know, if nothing else, we can just be really encouraged by the progress that we've seen here. Well, and I just wanted to mention one other thing and brag on our co-host, Brent Leatherwood, because his wife posted something on Instagram last night. While he was watching this speech, he called his girls into the room and pointed out to them that for the first time in history, there were two women sitting behind uh, President Biden and that that could be them one day. And she went on to say how Brent has done nothing but champion her as a woman and as a wife and how he is championing his girls in that way and shepherding them and supporting them. And in this day of so much contention and s surrounding um, being a woman and women's roles and even the Me Too movement, 
we just need more examples like Brent Leatherwood and others that I know and am proud to call my Christian brothers and friends. So I wanted to give him a shout out uh, for that sweet, touching Instagram post that his wife put up last night. Oh, thank you for that. I I, I didn't realize she she had caught that moment, but um, but yeah, you know. And when I I told our my oldest daughter, you know, she she like she kind of definitely grasped it. And then and then I even told her, I was like, hey, and someday that there will be a woman president, and maybe her name will be Anna Lee. <laughs> and her eyes just got really big and wide. And so uh, yeah, that was oh, that was sweet. just a, that was that was a great little moment. And the Josh, you know, to your point. You're absolutely right. Right. Like we we don't we don't have to slink back into our um our partisan posture, right? Like we can be thankful, right, at the same time for both Operation Warp Speed, uh, that was a significant initiative to invest in all these different uh, firms and organizations out there to try and develop uh, a COVID vaccine quickly. And and did so in record time. Like we should, we should be very clear. There was no guarantee of success with that. Like all that money could have just been lost. Um, and so we can be thankful for that. And the the folks within the the Trump administration and the Trump administration itself uh, for for having the leadership and the forethought to to make this happen. And then we can also be thankful for uh, the the competency of the Biden administration for helping to shepherd all of these things out across the country uh, so that we can be in a place uh, where over 200 million vaccines uh, have, have already gotten out there. Like that, we can do both. And as a matter of fact, as Christians, I would submit we should do both. Amen. Amen. We can do two things at the same time. All right. Well, one place that needs uh, that kind of leadership is India. Uh, India is experiencing what several folks this past week have called a coronavirus tsunami. So NBC News is reporting, while there are no official figures to demonstrate how many bodies have been cremated across the country, photos and video of smoldering funeral pyres in India's makeshift crematoriums have come to symbolize the country's COVID-19 crisis. Parking lots in New Delhi are now also being converted to accommodate the rising number of dead bodies. With more than 200,000 officially dead from the virus, many experts say the real number is probably much higher. COVID-19 has upended these ancient end-of-life traditions for many. Um, this was kind of brought home to this this week. One of our colleagues, uh, Chelsea Sobolik, who is, has been uh, on, on the podcast before, um, she mentioned her family. They're going through the process of adopting out of India right now. And she just, it just reminded her to, you know, please pray uh, for that nation and, and the people there. Because, I mean, if you just look at the the case numbers, uh, I, I want to say that I, I read something, it was like 350,000 cases a day right now on average. I mean, it is just an insane number of positive cases that they're getting there. And they are overwhelmed and they are asking for help uh, with ventilators and oxygen supply and uh, personal protective gear. Um, I mean, we just have to step back and realize we're in a very fortunate situation now here in America uh, after going through our own season of struggle with this. And there are other nations around the globe 
that are really just beginning uh, their their own hard season with this. I have uh, Indian friends who live next door to me. I think I've mentioned them before on this podcast. And uh, they moved back to India, and they're in the southern part. And I messaged her, and she said it's terrible, that they're bracing to go on lockdowns again, which just imagine getting ready to go on lockdown again here. (laughs) It it, It just has to be so... So crushing and so hard and so terrifying. Speaking of uh, coronavirus, there was some other news made this week out of the CDC. They are saying if you are vaccinated, you don't need a mask outdoors. So NPR has this story. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says people who are fully vaccinated do not need to wear a mask when they're outdoors unless they're in a crowd, such as attending a live performance, sporting event, or parade. People are considered fully vaccinated two weeks after receiving the second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines or two weeks after the single dose of the Johnson & Johnson shot. Quote, if you are vaccinated, things are much safer for you, CDC Director Rochelle Lewinsky said Tuesday at a White House press briefing. If you are fully vaccinated and want to attend a small outdoor gathering with people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated or dine at an outdoor restaurant with friends from multiple households, the science shows you can do so safely, unmasked. So I, I want to stop here and say a, a couple of things. A, for a lot of us, not all of us, but for a lot of us, uh, probably our lived experience is, is maybe a, a few weeks, maybe even a few months uh, beyond this. Uh, so I think we have to take into account here the CDC's responsibility is, is probably very conservative, right? Like they, they're trying to not put anyone uh, whose life might be compromised by COVID into any sort of jeopardy or in any sort of vulnerable state. So we have to realize that. And then B, I would say like, we should also maybe have a little bit of humility. I was reminded as, as we, as a staff, were just kind of talking through this development this week, you know, one of our colleagues, uh, whose, whose wife is in a very vulnerable state, uh, dealing with, uh, some, some medical treatments, um, you know, it just reminded me, like, we don't know what exactly everybody else's uh, experience is right now. And so, like, yeah, it seems like, you know, I, I probably haven't worn a mask outside in months. But I know that if I was in close quarters with somebody, uh, I, I would certainly want to respect that. And so it just, I don't know, there was a lot of snickering uh, online as this announcement was made. I'm just thankful that, hey, it seems like we are actually showing some progress here. But what do y'all think? Oh, don't get me started on my mask soapbox because y'all know I have it. Um, I think that's a good word, Brent. I think that that humility is called for. Um, To be honest, I hadn't really paid much attention to this CDC announcement. So it does make sense that this is, that they're making this announcement about closer quarters outdoors, you know, being together with a group of people around a table or something, because I've not been wearing a mask outside when I'm like walking or something out there in the open air and somebody walks past me. Uh, So that does make sense that people would have a little bit of guidance, be given a little guidance there. I just feel so protective because I have friends whose spouses and other people that they know are in the medical field and they still see the effects of COVID. So I'm not ready to roll my eyes at at the mask messaging yet because I know it's a real thing. And and I know that we'll learn more in the future because COVID is still so new. But 
it cannot not help wearing a mask as we're asked. It's just such a small thing that we can do. Am I weary of it? Of course I'm weary of it. Do I want to use my platform to, I don't have a platform, by the way, but I'm just saying, <laughs> theoretically, do I want to use my platform to to berate people who wear masks or berate even when the government gets it a little bit confusing when they talk about masks? No, because that's not helpful. Now, if they were asking me to amputate my arm in order to prevent sickness, now I might be a little bit more uh, more cautious and skeptical about that, <laughs> um, but, but not quite about a piece of cloth. And as we've talked about, it's hopeful. The day is coming when we're going to be putting these masks away. So we're, we're almost there. We're almost there. Anyway, there's my soapbox. Look, Lindsay, you did a great job, so I won't even belabor the point except to say, look, I am as weary as anyone on our staff of the mask wearing. I uh, get it. I think in a lot of cases we know that we are, there are many parts of the country that are well beyond the CDC uh, recommendations, and that's great. If you're in a place that's fully open, that's great. If you don't want to wear a mask, that's great. Uh, Like, if you're vaccinated, live like you're vaccinated. That's great. But don't be the kind of person who would unknowingly and for no reason uh, berate somebody or walk up to somebody and harass them if they're wearing a mask. Because as Brent mentioned, like we know people in our very close circle for whom wearing a mask is not optional and it's not some kind of, it's not any sign of fear or cowardice or any, or capitulation to the nanny state or any other ridiculous kind of thing. It is literally life and death for some people. And as Christians, like we should not even be close to making those kinds of assumptions, being that kind of belligerent person, or just being displaying that kind of a lack of charity. Uh, th- that is absolutely not the way of Christ. Mm, good word, Pastor. And and Lindsay, you do have a soapbox. You're, you're a host of the ERLC podcast. I do have a I soapbox, mean, not a platform. I mean, well, a I platform. Know I don't know. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you heard it earlier. She said, said, I'm not sure that I've talked about it, or I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. And I was like, Lindsay, what what other podcasts are you hosting? Oh, yeah. You don't know about my (laughs) other podcast that I'm on. All right. Hey, and this, speaking of good news about COVID, cases are falling around the country. So Axios was reporting that new coronavirus infections fell by roughly 16% over the past week in the U.S., a big improvement After weeks of stasis, more than half of American adults have gotten at least one dose of a coronavirus vaccine, and that seems to finally be putting a dent in the size of the country's outbreak. The U.S. averaged about 55,000 new cases per week over the past week, which is down from about 66,000 per day the week before. So this is good news, folks. the, The shots are going out. People are taking them. And that is the key to getting back to normal, to getting back to church and being able to hug people's necks without any kind of like trepidation, uh, to be able to just go out and eat in restaurants or just do community activities. Um, man, I can, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and we are truly getting there. And if we want to get there sooner, like we've got the ways to do it. So, and there's more good news this week on covid because there's no risk for pregnant women associated with the vaccines. So CBS News is reporting that uh, there's no evidence to suggest that the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines pose a risk during pregnancy, according to a preliminary report from researchers at the CDC. The results are part of the biggest study yet on COVID-19 vaccine safety among pregnant women. The peer-reviewed paper published Wednesday by the New England Journal of Medicine 
used self-reported data from more than 35,691 participants in the study. So I know, I mean, I've, I've even kind of read some of this. There's definitely some, some hesitation uh, um, among some women who, you know, kind of are, are childbearing age. And I feel like this is a, another just kind of example of like, okay, we're, we're, we're actually getting some really good news here associated with the vaccines as it relates to the virus. Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking about Dr. Francis Collins and what he said about how it's just far uh, exceeded his expectations, even the things that he thought to pray for, uh, which I thought was really, really great. And look, this is just more good news because obviously we want everyone to be safe and protected and particularly pregnant women. I was thinking about that same quote by Dr. Collins, uh, which is just so poignant and touching to me. You know, the other good news when it comes to women of childbearing age pregnancy, you know, is that moms can get the vaccine and still nurse their children too, which is just amazing. And those, I believe those kids will get some of the antibodies, but I'm not a medical expert. So don't quote me on that. Uh, so anyway, this, we keep saying it, but this technology is amazing. We're thankful to the Lord for this science and for being able to develop these vaccines that are so effective and truly that are so safe. Yeah, Josh, that that quote that you mentioned from Dr. Collins. So uh, he participated this week in an online forum with uh, Dr. Moore, as well as Tim Dalrymple, who is the president and CEO of Christianity Today. And they were just talking about evangelicals and and the vaccine. And and he said that it's interesting. He said, "Man, I'm 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 I was basically hoping for vaccines that would show an efficacy of you know 60, 65 percent." And then these studies came back and showed 95% effectiveness. And now that it's actually been rolling out, we're seeing upwards of 98, 99% uh, efficacy in terms of limiting the the spread of the virus. So that, <laughs> I mean, that's just incredible, uh, honestly, uh, that that this is this is where we are. And finally, from the sports world. At the end of this week, the NFL draft is back and it's live and in person. ABC News reports the 2021 NFL Draft will return to an in-person live event after last year's virtual presentation, and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is swapping out his basement broadcast setup for a massive outdoor stage. Quote, we're going to be able to combine it with a lot of technology and some of the things we did to give people and our fans an inside view of our players, of the coaches, of the general managers, and the inside of access that people really want from the NFL. As Goodell presents from the largest draft structure the NFL has ever built. I don't know why that's important, but it is. 50,000 fans are expected to pour into downtown Cleveland with multiple outdoor events spread throughout the city, including First Energy Stadium and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So this is a big event every year. A couple years ago, it was here in Nashville. It was actually a pretty massive event, even though it occurred like on a, you know, in the middle of like a big rainstorm. Um, but yeah, and and lots of folks here seem to have fun with it. I myself would not venture downtown with that many folks, but. Yeah, I never really realized how much is wrapped up in the NFL draft until it was here in Nashville a few years ago, because it is I mean, it's a whole production. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 50,000 people showing up in Cleveland, and that's probably significantly down from a, uh, 
from all of the stuff that's surrounding a regular NFL draft in a non-COVID environment. And so it, it was absolutely crazy. And I had to pick and choose when I was even going to go into the office because there was there were just so many people. And there's a lot of people in Nashville all the time, but that particular event was absolutely insane. Trevor Lawrence, the, the incredible uh, All-American quarterback from Clemson, I mean, he's going number one. I mean, if anybody I – mean, how do you not take him number one? He's a virtual lock for being fell star. There's no doubt about it. He is essentially the next Peyton Manning. Man, that's high praise for a Clemson grad, so or Clemson alum. Well, he's originally from East Tennessee, huge Peyton Manning fan, and it's only because uh, Tennessee had absolutely abysmal coaches uh, who couldn't keep him locked into uh, his you know childhood dreams of playing for the University of Tennessee that uh, that he ended up at Clemson. And obviously had the incredible career that he did there and not in Tennessee Orange. I just want to let listeners know that this is a little taste of what it's like when we were in the office during uh, NFL fantasy football season. Not that not that the girls can't participate, but that it's just mainly the guys talking about football from the time you get into the office until the time you leave the office. And mix into that... Uh, talks of trades and deals and like cunning behind the scenes activity to get the best trade and steal and deal. It's probably the most annoying time in the office that we have all year long. <laughs> well, right, but it wasn't it wasn't just annoying based on gender. It was annoying because ultimately this was just Philip Bethencourt's like it was his annual like zenith, right? Like I mean this was just the moment that that guy lived for. Uh, when when he was uh, serving as our executive VP, and you know now he's senior pastor uh, down at Central Church, and we're really thankful for Philip. But like this was this was a Philip inspired initiative. Let's let's not be wrong. And then you know Dan Darden participated too. There were good snacks though, so I'll give you that. That's right. Okay. Well, Lindsay, Josh, uh, that's your look at this week at culture. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things that we've been talking about with one another. I'll tell you right now that one of the things on my mind is all of that stuff we were just talking about, about fantasy football. And man, at the URLC, we know how to eat good food. And so uh, we would, particularly on those big like draft days, we would get together and have like Hattie B's uh, in the office all together. And that was an all play for Lindsay's sake. That was not like a dude's doing that, but like the whole staff would just get together, eat, do some fantasy football drafting. And uh, man... I wish we could do that right now because, boy, does it sound absolutely excellent. So short of that, Lindsay, tell us what's on your mind for the lunchroom this week. You're making me hungry. I wish that I was having Hattie B's for lunch. Oh, man. Okay, in light of the event that we have coming up in early May with former President George W. Bush, who I just love, and he's just he's just like down-home American grandpa, and I think they call him Hefe the kids, his his grandkids do. But he has taken up painting in his latter years, and he had a, his first book he put out was called Portraits of Courage, a Commander-in-Chief's Tribute to America's Warriors, where he would do portraits, and then there would be stories about them. Well, he has another one coming out, uh, and it actually is already released on April 20th, but it's titled Out of Many, One, Portraits of America's Immigrants. And as you can imagine, uh, it's portraits of those who have come to America from other countries, and it tells their stories. And it's it, it looks beautiful. I don't own it yet, but I just love that this is what 
uh, President Bush is doing in his retirement. Uh, I love that he's highlighting our our immigrants and uh, the dignity of them as telling their stories. And I can't wait to check it out. And then the second thing that I wanted to bring up, because I could not fail to bring this up. Now, this we're, we started in America, then we're going across the pond, um, and we're talking about William and Kate's 10th wedding anniversary. It is their 10th wedding anniversary today. 10 years ago, they showed the footage. There were gobs and gobs of people all gathered together with no masks on, which is just amazing. And I got up early in the morning and actually had people over, some girls from work where I worked at the time, and we watched the wedding. Uh, and it was just so fun. And so I just had to just had to bring that up. Happy 10th anniversary, William and Kate. Wow. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I, let me let me say wow in the sense like I want to affirm uh marriage. And so um I want to applaud any marriage that makes it to to 10 years and keep keep it up. That's great. Especially on that kind of a platform. That is a legit platform. That's true. They they make your they do make your platform look rather rather. They they small. make your soapbox look you know especially tiny, <laughs> weak and pitiful. <laughs> As your first item though, like man W, oh, more W please. He's the best. He's just the best. That guy. That guy. He is. You know what? I got to tell you, President Bush in um, his post presidency, like he is vying for like most productive post presidency. President. <laughs> Say I mean, that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just Most saying, like, Most productive post-presidency president. Most productive post-presidency yeah, president. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. You actually did the thing <laughs> that you you were rhetorically asked us to do. Uh, but uh, but it anyways. It honestly wasn't rhetorical. Well, I guess not. I guess not. Um, but yeah, he's just, I mean, he's just out there, you know, sparking new initiatives, uh, leading efforts for reform and, and, publishing books and being a prolific painter. Gosh, my alliteration game is just spot on today. Anyways, I'm just really thankful for him. Are you practicing for preaching in a pulpit? <laughs> to build his platform. To build your up. platform. Okay, well, to, to get us out of this uh, <laughs> rabbit hole, syntactical <laughs> quagmire, uh, I'm going to <laughs> take us to, ba actually, back to the UK. So, uh Pastor John R.W. Stott, uh, this week we would have commemorated his 100th birthday, and our boss, Dr. Moore, wrote a piece for the Gospel Coalition uh, commemorating John Stott's life and influence, and it was a really powerful piece. It's linked there in the show notes. You can go and check it out, uh, but if you don't know who John Stott was, he was an incredibly influential evangelical in the 20th century. Uh, he uh, was involved in a number of different things. But, but for me personally, the reason that this is so important to me is that he wrote one of the books uh, or two of the books that have been just profoundly uh, important in my own life and spiritual journey. One of them is just called Why I Am a Christian. And I remember reading that book uh, at least 10 years ago. It may have been closer to 15 years ago that I first read that book. And and it helped me so much, just grasp some of the essentials and the basics of the, of the faith. And then he also has a, a larger book called The Cross of Christ, that if you if you are looking for a slightly deeper, but still incredibly uh, spiritually shaping uh, work, The Cross of Christ by John Stott is an incredible place to, to spend your time. You could spend a couple years walking through that book, and, and it will bless you and benefit you in just significant ways. And so... 
shout out to John Stott for his influence. Uh, have every you know confidence he is in heaven now in the presence of the God and the Christ who he spent his life proclaiming and worshiping and leading others toward. And obviously, I look forward to to meeting him one day. Short of that, there was this other very cool thing that happened to me this week, which was that, you know, last night, just chilling, hanging out with my son. After a long day, we decided, hey, you know what? Let's go grab some ice cream from Chick-fil-A. And so we head to the Chick-fil-A and I order literally an ice cream for him and a sweet tea for my wife. And because I'm on a stinking diet, I didn't get anything for myself. And as I'm pulling up to the window, uh, you know, my, my bro in the window just says, hey man, I've got 72 chicken nuggets that we've got to give away. Would you want them? Diet or not? The answer is yes, right? You got 72 chicken nuggets for free. I'm the guy that's going to eat them. And so yes. anyway, right now they're in my refrigerator. And as soon as we wrap up this podcast, some of them will be in my stomach. Yes, I have never been more jealous of you, Josh, than when you got 72 chicken nuggets for free. And we were talking before the podcast started. We have other friends who have a Chick-fil-A life hack where they go in the evening at a certain time to get some ice cream and they end up getting bigger ice cream cones because they're trying to empty their machine. So moral of the story is go to Chick-fil-A late at night. The other thing I wanted to say is those are the kind of Josh Wester book recommendations that I'm here for. So I I love those. And I have I too have read The Cross of Christ and it is so good. And um, yeah, I love I love those recommendations. Those those recommendations did not put me to sleep in an instant. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to clear that very high bar, Lindsay, and mostly because John Stott could do it because he's just amazing. So Brent, you're up next. Well, what, what I'm uh, bringing to the lunchroom is, uh, is not food related. You know, the first half of this podcast seemed to be very heavy on wisdom themes. The, the second half seems to be very heavily focused on food. So maybe we're all just trying to get out of here for actual lunch. But Anyways, uh, this week, I, you know, I was just reading through Baptist Press and came upon a story that I just thought was so good. And look, there's this kind of misconception out there that, um, you know, evangelical life or in particular Southern Baptist life is driven by megachurches. But do y'all know what the true backbone of the SBC is? It's small churches. Small churches led largely by bivocational pastors, meaning there are pastors out there that they've got another job uh, that they got to go to each and every day, um, and yet they're still creating time and space in their life to, to lead these smaller churches. Um, and so first, I am so thankful uh, that we are part of a denomination uh, where there are gifted leaders out there that are balancing, you know, everything else in life, including a job, and they are shepherding, shepherding a congregation forward. Uh, and I'm also thankful that there is this new initiative to help serve churches just like that. So it's led by a gentleman named uh, Joe Wright, uh, who uh, is here in Tennessee, and he's the executive director of the Bivocational and Small Church Leadership Network. And they've just started a new initiative called Small Church America. And what they're trying to do with this initiative is enhance uh, their network's outreach with a year-long series of monthly webinars designed to provide small church and bivocational pastors additional resources to serve congregations that are under their care. And this is just a, I mean, in many ways, a, um, an, an easily overlooked part of the SBC and and just you know wider 
uh, evangelical life. And I'm just, I'm so thankful for for Joe and his team that are trying to think of constructive ways to to serve these churches. Um, and um, and yeah, so it was just a good needed reminder of uh, the fact that there are just, there's a lot of gifted folks folks out there uh, that are, are leading um, uh, congregations that are in smaller and uh, rural contexts that uh, don't get all the the hype that maybe some of the suburban megachurches get. So anyways, that that's what I'm bringing. That's a great emphasis, Brent. It reminds me of a discussion that we were having in Slack based on a news article about pastors and sermon prep and the types of help that they get. And uh, it just reminded me, I was talking to my husband about it. It just reminded me of, I said those words. I said, most pastors do not have the types of resources that uh, mega church pastors with large staffs have. We most pastors are small church pastors who are doing their best to hold it together, to run the church themselves, basically, and to minister to their congregation well, and uh, prep a faithful sermon and preach it. And it just made me appreciative for those pastors. And it also made me realize that the call to ministry is no joke. <laughs> the call to ministry for most people is not something glamorous and easy and full of all the luxuries of life. Of course, that's not why you sh- we should be going into ministry in the first place. Uh, the call to ministry is is a it's a tough road that people do, and and they follow it because they want to follow their Lord and they want to minister to His church. Gosh, Lindsay, that is such a good word, and it is particularly so because I think a lot of times in our culture, when we think about pastors, uh, maybe just maybe it's just me, but I think for a lot of people, probably uh, you think about the bigger pastors and larger churches, and you assume they have like large budgets and unlimited resources and all this kind of stuff. But the truth is that there are so so many. Uh, in fact, the vast majority of people in ministry are these guys who are you know bivocational pastors or pastors of small churches, where it's just them and maybe some part time staff members. But usually, I mean, oftentimes it's not uncommon to see pastors leading their churches totally on their own. And so uh, trying to provide additional resources, trying to come alongside them and provide not just equipping, but but what whatever other kinds of helps uh, there might be so that these uh, folks who are just committed to the cause of Christ and advancing the Great Commission, uh, that they can have some folks supporting them in the work that they're doing. That That's incredible. You're absolutely right about that. And so I would just say, Hey, pastors, if you're out there, whether it's a small church or a big church, we're thankful for you, and we are thankful for um, the commitment that you have to proclaiming the gospel and leading people to Christ. And I'm just thankful that there are resources out there for churches big and small uh, to help them do that. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Just as a reminder, uh, you can find links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back next week with more content.